Haggai chapter 2, verse 7 says, I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, tonight as we come, we remember these words from the prophet Haggai and the, the words to the rebuilding of the second temple, but they were more than just building of a temple. It was talking about a temple that would be occupied by you, God, and that ultimately the Messiah would come to that would shake all the nations. God, we believe you are still shaking the nations today, and we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us on this Christmas Eve as we celebrate and remember your first coming, and we long, Lord Jesus, for your return. We pray your blessing on our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaac Watts from the late 17th century and the early 18th century was known as the godfather of English hymnody, having written over 750 hymns. Next to Watts, Charles Wesley, the brother of the famous English evangelist, uh, missionary, and church planter, John Wesley, would be the second most revered composer of English hymns. In 1744, inspired by the words, he read in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, I will shake the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house, house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Moved by those words, Charles Wesley wrote what would become a well-known Christmas hymn. We've sung part of it tonight. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. A song which reflects how long the world waited and how deeply it anticipated Christ's birth. We have a slide of some of the words in this song. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength, remember it, and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, uh, joy of every longing heart, born thy people to deliver, born a child, and yet a king, born to reign in us forever, now thy gracious kingdom bring. By thine own eternal spirit, rule in all our hearts alone. By thine all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. A hymn that reflects how long the world waited for the birth of Jesus. Now, waiting, by the way, is not popular it's not a popular 21st century American pastime. We do not have a lot of sympathy or even empathy for that matter uh, for those uh, who have to wait or for waiting itself. We live in a culture that says, get going, do something, make your mark, make a difference. Don't just sit there and wait, get a move on. And for many people in our society, waiting is the dark wilderness between where they are and where they want to be. Theologian Henry Nouwen writes, waiting is so difficult because we are so fearful. Fear, he says, is a pervasive emotion that terrorizes people's inner lives, their views of the world, and their perspective of the future. Throw into the brilliant theologian Nouwen's insights 
A COVID-19 pandemic like we have now with all the lockdowns and the mandates, then mix in a little bit of political tension into the batter and for good measure, add a few cups of social unrest, protests, property damage, violence, and the like, and people's fear factor goes right through the roof. Here's the deal. Fearful people have a hard time waiting because when we're afraid, what do we do? We want to flee. We want to get away from where we are. And if we cannot flee from where we are, then the next best option is for us to fight. This is a classic, actually, adrenaline response. The fight or flight syndrome. When we encounter a dangerous or terrifying situation, our adrenal glands in our body open up and dump massive amounts of fuel into our body so we could flee or we could fight if we needed to. Fight or flight, it's called, and our senses are just heightened because of that adrenaline that's pumped into our system. Well, when it comes to fear, however, flight is always the first response. And if that doesn't work, then the only thing left for us to do is to fight. And by the way, what, what are we seeing in our culture right now? We're seeing both of these classic responses to fear. We don't want to wait. We, we just want this COVID thing to be over. We just want all this political tension to go away. We simply want the violent and destructive protests and demonstrations to cease. We want life to get back to normal. And since that isn't happening, these things aren't going away, then what response is left for people? What's left for people's fears and anxieties? It's to fight. So people are quarreling. They're squabbling. They're expressing anger over their differences on the various controversial issues. And it's happening at peaceful places of work. It's happening in their homes. It's happening in their extended families. It's happening at school. It's happening in boardrooms all over this nation. It's happening in the government. And it's even happening in churches. It's surfacing all over. And here's the facts. The more afraid people are, the harder waiting becomes. And add into people's elevated fear levels a highly individualized, self-made consumeristic culture and you get the picture as to why waiting is so unpopular right now. Isn't it interesting that in the Christmas story, all of the key characters are waiting? Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting. Mary is waiting, uh, Joseph is waiting, waiting to marry Mary in the first place. And when he does, then he has to wait until after Jesus is born to even consummate the marriage. And even when they do get married, they have to wait to move into the house that Joseph had built for Mary himself and their future family. Why? Because of what we've heard read earlier already. Luke chapter two, verses one through five. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a, a child. Why wasn't the first order of a business for them to establish their home in their newly constructed house? What? Because a decree came down from the Roman federal government. So their lives became completely upended. Their personal plans, 
their goals, none of that mattered. Whatever jobs the carpenter Joseph had lined up had to be put on hold. There, of course, was a loss of income, not to mention the expense of the 140-mile round trip to Bethlehem, which that even got extended because they ended up in, in, in Egypt for a while, fleeing from Herod, who wanted to kill all the baby boys, in Bethlehem. And this rugged journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem over, you know, tremendous and high elevated and rocky terrain, there were no exceptions for pregnant women then. No list of essential or non-essential travelers. Everyone had to follow the government's mandates or face the wrath of the Roman Empire. Talk about a disruption to one's life. Talk about not being able to do what you want to do or what you think is best. Talk about hijacking someone's freedoms. And by the way, I don't think anybody asked Joseph and Mary their ideas or opinions or their feelings on the census. Just the good old government telling people what to do with their lives, no matter how much it might disrupt them. And you know, Joseph and Mary were people of faith. They were patiently waiting for the promised Messiah, even if that meant some personal inconvenience or sacrifices on their part. You know, in the Christmas story, we also see a man named Simeon who had waited his entire life to see the consolation of Israel. He was a righteous and devout man, and he went to the temple, often in Jerusalem, waiting to see the promised Messiah. Anna is another person in the Christmas biblical accounts that we see waiting for the birth of Christ. She is an 84-year-old prophet who goes every single day to the temple. And when she saw Jesus, she went to everyone she knew who was looking forward to the redemption of Israel, all who were waiting just like she was. And she told them all about Jesus. Waiting, as we see in the Christmas story, is waiting with a sense of purpose, Luke chapter 1, verse 13, Zechariah is told your wife will bear you a son. In Luke 1, 31, Mary is told you will conceive and bear a son. In Matthew 1, 20, Joseph is told to not be afraid to take Mary home to be his wife because what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 2, verse 26, Simeon is basically told you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. In the Bible, Waiting is never a movement from nothing to something. It is a movement from something to something more. Waiting is also very active. Most people think of waiting as something passive, a hopeless state determined by the circumstances or events that are out of our control. The bus is late. The game got canceled. The official made a bad call and we lost the game. We were forced to shut the church down because of COVID for three months. When things are out of our control, we have to sit and wait. Can you understand why people get irritated when someone tells them, just wait, just wait, just wait? Do you want to know something interesting in scripture? There is no passivity in the Bible when it comes to waiting. Those who are waiting are doing so actively, and there are good reasons for that. The first reason I want you to know in the Christmas story, how many times in the Christmas accounts in the Bible do you hear the statement to the participants or to those who are uh, observing what's going on there? Do not be afraid. Fear not. In other words, 
Don't flee from this. Don't fight this. Believe in God. Trust in God. The second thing I want to mention is the secret to waiting is really faith. It's a belief. It's a conviction that God is up to something. Something is happening. God is at work. And such people who have that kind of conviction are fully present in the moment that they're living. You know, as a pastor, I get to tell our elder board, I get to tell our church staff, sometimes I even get to tell my family some of the amazing things that I see God doing. Some of it's through our online church. I can't even say these things because I don't want to mention the things that are happening because people are listening online. So I have to be careful, but there's just some remarkable things that God is doing. And there are many people in our church right now who are ministering to hurting people in the community. And I've watched people from my ringside front row seat as a pastor set aside bitterness from deep wounds to bless those in big ways who have harmed them. See, people who wait are people of faith. They are fully present in where they are because they believe in that moment. This time is God's time. The third thing I want you to know about waiting is waiting takes patience because it is open-ended. We tend to wait for things that we want to happen or we wish to have. I wish the pain in my back or the pain in my hip or the pain in my knee would go away. I wish my circumstances would improve. Too often, our waiting is with the desire to control the future. We want things to go in a specific direction, and if they don't, we're, we're big-time disappointed or we sometimes even slip into despair. The characters in the Christmas story, they all went on living their lives, waiting patiently. You see, they were filled with hope that God was going to fulfill his promises. They weren't waiting patiently for their wishes and their wants to be fulfilled. They were trusting God, and that always, always is open-ended. You know, I found, especially in 2020 in my own life, I've had to let go of my wishes and instead live by hope. Hope in the one who is the hope of all the earth. You see, I have devoted pastorally my entire professional adult life to serving this church. I have been here almost 34 years, winning people to Christ, making disciples, loving people, serving people, developing leaders, leading God's people, developing healthy church structures, standing up to injustices, building buildings that you're in. I have literally trawled on my hands and knees every inch of this building that you are sitting in and you are in right now, this church facility. To then, after all of that, shut the doors for three months cancel every major big ministry event in the church in 2020. We're in the, I'm in the latter part of my career and we're shutting everything down. And then we have to divide up our Christmas Eve service and have half the people that are normally here in two different services. And then I got to preach on Palm Sunday and Good Friday and speak on Easter to a TV, to a camera because you couldn't have more than 10 people in the church building. And then when we do get to open, we have to spread people out and we have to even change our service times. And I get to preach to a half empty plus church for the rest of the year. And then to boot, 
I get to pastor people. In the meantime, shepherd them who are living under tremendous stress because of government lockdowns, because of loss of jobs or loss of income. And none of those things that I just described for you were any of my wishes in 2020. This is why I came to the realization this last year that I needed to live in hope. God is up to something. God is on the move. And I realized that what I had to become was like Mary in the biblical account here, the Christmas account. In Luke 1.38, she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. She's saying, God, I don't completely understand all of this, but I trust you. So let what you have said to me be done to me. Mary trusted God so completely that her waiting on God was open to all possibilities. She didn't try to control her circumstances. She waited on God. You know, in order to wait on God, a person has to know God. And to know God personally, you have to receive him by faith. Joseph was told by the angel of the Lord to name the son of Mary, that Mary was going to bear, Jesus, which means God saves, and it explains for us there in Matthew 121, you're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 speaks of the significance of the name of Jesus. It says that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one we need to place our faith in. He's the one who can save us from our sins. He's the one who can save us from our fears and our desires to flee or fight when the world is not going the way we want it to go right now. Jesus is the one who can save us from ourselves. And you know, there's another verse that talks about the name of Jesus. It says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on Jesus, calls on the Lord, is the one who will be saved. Lord, I'm tired of living in fear. Lord, I'm tired of trying to control everything in my life. I'm tired of living under the burden of my sin. Lord, I need you. I need Jesus to be the Savior and Lord of my life. And I want to live the rest of my life however long or short that might be, I want to live that life in hope. And I realize this evening that I cannot do that on my own. I realize tonight that I need Jesus, the hope of all the earth. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, tonight we are rejoicing in, in you Lord Jesus, our Savior, who came to save us from our sins. And God, as we remember that tonight, I pray for everyone listening online, for everyone here, that if anybody has not come to that place of uh, accepting by faith Jesus, that tonight would be the night that they would make that decision. They would say yes and receive you into their lives. The gift of Christmas. May that be the most blessed gift anyone here receives tonight and this Christmas. And we pray it in your name. Amen.